You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here on Westwood One. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house on February 22nd. And indeed, this is George Washington's actual birthday. I believe his 286th birthday. So happy birthday to our founding father. And boy, was he ever prescient in his ominous warning. One of his last famous words, pearls of wisdom that he, he gave us before you know, retiring during that unbelievable farewell address that should be required reading in every public school in America, where he warned about factions and political parties. And where we are today is caught between two political parties that are essentially one party, and the further to the extreme alt-left one moves, the further extreme the other one moves, but still points to the nominal differences that things could always get worse as a means of getting us to continue this scam, rather than finally breaking out of it and giving over to the American people affirmatively what we do stand for. What is our vision? You know, a lot of people are asking me, hey, Daniel, are you at CPAC? You know, c- could we meet up? And, and look, I'd love to meet a lot of people. And I understand, you know, this has become a self-fulfilling thing because everyone meets every year. So it's kind of a good hub to make connections. But I mean, CPAC over the years has become a teeny bopper session of a bunch of young libertarian minded whatevers. Um, they're not having this discussion we need to have. What we should be having is this new contract with America, a new strategy for the recognition of the fact that Republicans control all three branches of government and for the first two months of this year did absolutely nothing but codify everything of the Democrat agenda and pass a budget bill worse than almost anything passed during the Obama years. To deal with all the crises we have in this country that, unlike Parkland, is a federal responsibility that is redressable through the political system, through public policy, that's often as bad as the school shootings are, even worse crises we're going to get to today, the gang crisis, the opioid crisis in our cities as a result of DACA, as a result of sanctuary cities and open borders that Congress refuses to address, that Trump is parsimoniously addressing in the right way, but, but just declines to fully use his leverage to, to demand from Congress the right course of action, to leverage his veto in the right way. We're not having that. It's a bunch of speeches and symposiums and whatever. It's kind of meaningless. Now, there are some good speeches. You know, I watched Dana Lash was actually giving this counter-narrative on the entire issue. I love how she used our lines. I'm not saying she got it from us, but what we were putting on Twitter last night. Where's the town hall for victims of sanctuary cities, for victims of the mass violence due to blue city policies in Baltimore and Chicago? So she was an excellent speaker. Um, But then, you know, I was forced to watch Mike Pence. And my gosh, I mean, what's become of him 
over the last 15 years. I remember him 15 years ago, 13 years ago, when he was a much different man. But he literally went down the litany of accomplishments. And to everything he said, there's a counterpoint that when it comes to the discernible policy outcomes, the DPCs, not not direct primary care in this case, that's usually what I use DPC for, but but the discernible policy outcomes, almost every one of those things were actually going in the opposite direction. A lot of that's not the fault of the administration. Some of it is. It's the fault of Congress. But let's not deny where we are. Let's not deny that the agenda this Republican Congress and the president has gone along with, for the most part, the first two months and what's now in sight is terrible. It operates exclusively within the contours of the Democrat agenda. And that's what I'm seeing with CPAC. Everything's a response to the other side with a bunch of speeches. But there is no agenda to stand by a list of 10 principles with 30 to 40 policies that this is what we stand for. This is a fulfillment of George Washington's values. This is where we are. This is where we're headed. This is what we're going to take into the election with us. And counterpunch, punch, counterpunch, maneuver, countermaneuver the other side rather than basically falling into every trap that they set for us and operate exclusively within their assumptions, their premises, their contours of debate. I'm not seeing that. And that's why I don't show up to CPAC. It's just not worth my time. I'd rather try to work on getting the truth out and work in the background on you know, some of the strategies we talk about. But this, this contract with America, this new taxpayer and consumer's bill of rights, a contract with the forgotten man, where is that? That's what we need a meeting. We need a constitutional convention-style mature meeting of the minds of a real conservative movement to recognize the severity of what's confronting us, recognize the shortcomings of what we've been doing, and plot a course of action headed forward. And, and you know, I challenge anyone to tell me how CPAC fulfills that. So, look, you know, I understand that's where you know, everyone is, and I'm not blaming anyone for showing up. It's just if you want to know why I'm not there, that's why I'm not there. But with that said, speaking of counterpunching, what you're seeing this past week with this debate over guns and the disgusting, vile politicization of tragedy by the media and the nature of what the media is able to focus people's attention on for as long as they want and what they're able to obfuscate and ignore is the result of not having a party and a movement that is capable of delivering a counter-narrative. Let me tell you how the Democrats and the media succeed on this. You have to understand that in any political position, any policy issue, or any issue that's not necessarily policy-oriented, as we noted with these mass shootings, it's cultural, it's rooted in culture, The things that are redressable are the things that they don't want to do, and they're really local in nature. And it's up to each individual school to beef up their security and to allow teachers and administrators to to be armed. I know um, one of the Jewish private schools in in my neighborhood here in Baltimore, definitely uh, there's at least a couple of faculty members I know of that do carry very quietly. And that's something that should be regular in 
most public schools. But again, that's not the source of what's going on. The source is a cultural problem that not everything has a solution other than if you would actually have normal security and everyone would be carrying guns, you wouldn't have more than one to three fatalities in these events like you see in Israel, where you might have bombings, you might have car rammings, but when it comes to shootings, you'll never really see more than three people killed in any of these events because after 30 seconds, the guy's gunned down. But the reality is that any policy issue, there's a weaker point to our position, to any position. Now, it doesn't mean we're wrong. We're not wrong. But what it means is that on a superficial level, if you isolate one component of a broader policy issue in a vacuum without understanding the context, the before and after, the history, the cause and effect, and how your supposed solution is really the cause of the problem, or certainly contributes and fuels it, and it's certainly, certainly not the solution to it, you're able to successfully exploit that weakness. And where I'm coming from is this. Only God's ways are perfect. Only God's solutions are perfect. God has it worked out how everything he orchestrates in this world and the next world, everyone gets their just desserts. So, you know, if A is punished and it affects B, B deserved it too on some level, and God has that all worked out. God's ways are perfect, like it says towards the end of Deuteronomy. There is no iniquity in God. We don't have perfection. What we have is justice. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about, before we get to immigration, just the American criminal justice system. You have parents that are commit terrible crimes. We lock them up. What about the kids? What's going to happen to them? Don't you feel bad for them? Now, you'll tell me, well, yeah, but, I mean, what do you want? We, we got to lock them up. I, I feel worse for the victims of these crimes, and, you know, you got to have law and order. This is just an ancillary problem. There's nothing we can do about that. But I will tell you, if you were able to harness the full power of the media to run endless documentaries on the broken nature of the kids whose parents are locked up, and, and believe me, the, the left is actually doing this a little bit with their criminal justice deform agenda, I could get you sympathizing with that and thinking that that's the single biggest policy issue that is the single biggest problem in the country and the most urgent and redressable public policy issue you know, throughout the country. I could do that to anything. Because don't you care about the kids? It's the same strategy with illegal immigration. They'll focus on very fluent English-speaking illegal aliens, which is the exception, not the rule, who either somehow served in the military or are valedictorians and coming up with the next cure to cancer, and saying, what are you going to do about them? Huh? DACA fix, DACA fix. Are you going to deport them? Huh? Huh? So the contours of debate become about whether you're going to deport the greatest people in the world. That's, a, that's the weakness in a position we hold that they're going to exploit. Now, is it inherently weak? No. <laughs> because you need sovereignty. You need a nation. It's, not, it's certainly not our fault. It's the fault of their countries. It's the fault of their parents. We've done a lot of shows on this. But they'll exploit that in a vacuum. And if you only debate that issue in a vacuum, you can never win. And this is where I want to land on with guns and tie back to immigration as well 
why we're losing. Because Republicans are incapable of rhetorical jujitsu and then open up, opening up their own offensive front on other issues that are different but really tie in to the issue the left is trying to focus you on. It's like if you had a, you know, picture a, um, a boxing match. Imagine if you have a one-sided fight where only one boxer is throwing punches and the other guy is neither trying to engage in some sort of jujitsu to use his offensive punches um, against him to launch a counterattack or just launching his own, initiating his own attacks. There's no, you know, separate standalone attacks and there's no counterattacks. You will never win that match. You might once in a while get a good defense and get a good block, but inevitably he's going to get, he's going to land punches on you. Whereas if you're constantly attacking and counterattacking, for every punch he throws, you're throwing a punch too, and he has to deal with that. So you cannot win a debate. When they want to focus in a vacuum on school shootings, this guy shot up children, 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 17 died, AR-15, AR-15, gun control, gun control. On a very superficial level, that's always going to work. If you're never demonstrating how their broader agenda is endangering America, go on offense. Slam a right-to-carry bill on the floor tomorrow. That's what they should do because right-to-carry is a complete, complete repudiation of their entire thesis. See, even if you say that we need more restrictions on purchasing a gun initially and that those restrictions would actually prevent this, which it wouldn't, you can't deny that right-to-carry laws or anti-carry laws only limit the ability of people to stop this stuff. Because you're talking about people that already have guns. So if you're a criminal about to commit a mass murder and you already have the gun, oh, but I can't carry it. How am I going to get it there? It's pretty hard to get caught carrying concealed if you know how to do it right. It's only going to be law-abiding citizens that adhere to it. So that, I mean, really, we believe almost all gun laws only hurt good guys with guns, not bad guys with guns, but certainly the right to carry. They should be promoting that. They should be promoting a narrative of war on cops and all the police shootings. There were two more cops gunned down this week that you wouldn't have heard about. A sanctuary city agenda, which we're going to get to in a minute. The opioid and gang crisis brought to you by DACA itself. Sorry about that. Just got a message here, but um, you know the DACA agenda and the the not just the sanctuary cities, but the shutting down of federal immigration enforcement in conjunction with sanctuary cities that have spawned the opioid crisis. Sixty four thousand people died of drug overdoses last year. That's a bigger kill shot on our country. The fentanyl and heroin is a bigger kill shot on this country than even North Korea and Islamic Jihad at this point. And you know I'm very big on those issues, and they're very big problems. They won't jujitsu it. So I have an article. I have two articles that are providing this narrative and a policy agenda that very few are championing. One is titled The Baltimore Effect, What Gun Grabbers Don't Want to Debate. The other one is titled DACA and Sanctuary Cities Fueling Gang and Opioid Crisis. But imagine if you had a Republican Party pushing 
against gangs and sanctuary cities and amnesty and drug smugglers while simultaneously eliminating gun-free zones and barriers to concealed carry. Demonstrating how in Baltimore, in my hometown, in October 2013, they enacted the most draconian gun laws, much more than what Democrats are officially trying to promote on a federal level. Forget about background checks. You have to have a license, which is with a you know a certified instructor, fingerprints, all sorts of things. Could take two months just to get a license to own, not to carry. That you can't really get in Maryland. Just to own. And immediately after that, Baltimore became the murder capital of the country. And I have a chart um, graphing this where you could see the direct result. And I'm not saying this caused it. It's mainly the Freddie Gray effect, the jailbreak, and the war on the cops. But that's not much of a defense because that's another left-wing agenda item. So say, well, Daniel, it's not because of the gun laws. It's because of, uh, oh, well— Freddie Gray effect. Well, yeah, that that's a repudiation of your other criminal justice view that you're pushing that Republicans refuse to push back against. But you, but if it's not the cause, it certainly is not the solution. You certainly can't tell me this the answer when Baltimore became the murder capital after enacting an assault weapons ban, ban a mag capacity ban, and a requirement that any purchaser of guns must get a license. Not, not AR-15s, any 9mm. This is the problem, folks. We have nobody. Now, there are, on the gun issue, you do have some people in the movement pushing back on, not so much in Congress. When it comes to the other issues I'm talking about, you have no one. Still, to this day, on the same day of the Parkland shooting, the Senate Judiciary Committee that contains the most prominent gun grabbers, Kamala Harris, Pat Leahy, Chuck Schumer, Dick Durbin, Dianne Feinstein, as well as some Republican buffoons like Jeff Flake and Chuck Grassley, they passed a bill that will offer multiple avenues for retroactive release of the most violent gun felons and drug traffickers in this country. And yet Republicans go along with it rather than slam it in their face as a, as a political jujitsu. What are we doing about the crime crisis in this country? That after two decades of miraculous and precipitous decline, by the way, coinciding with a massive expansion of loose gun laws, of right to carry. More guns, less crime, quite literally. And then incidentally, in the last couple of years, while nationwide, generally, crime is still going down, but in the bluest of jurisdictions in several major cities like St. Louis, Detroit, Chicago, Baltimore, crime is skyrocketing immediately after the passage of Sandy Hook laws in most of those states. See, the thing about the school shootings, there have been generally more school shootings per year over the past couple of years, that is true. But by the, 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 the whole point, if you read the, liber- the left, their entire point is that this is a recent emergency phenomenon. right? They, they actually say 
this didn't happen in the 90s. So that's a repudiation of their whole argument because most of the loose gun laws are not recent. They were in the 90s, early 2000s. It's sure a very delayed effect if that's the cause. Unlike in Baltimore, where immediately after they passed these laws, we had a spike in crime. So if you want to talk about cause and effect, it's more evident on the other way. But Republicans, oh no, and, and even Trump. It, it, Trump on guns is kind of like Trump on immigration. When he's on message, he's really on message, talking about the need to arm teachers, and you know he, he, he he's good on that. But then he lapses into raise the age to 21, bump stocks, bump stocks. Expanded background checks. Always operating within the premise, the parlance, the assumptions, the issue focus of the other side. Of course it's a tragedy what happened. But is it the biggest national tragedy going on? And more importantly, is it the biggest one that was caused by a public policy issue that's redressable on a federal level by public policy? No. And that's what I want to get into with the gang and opioid crisis that is killing our schools. Talk about the children. Where are the town halls on this? On the sanctuary cities, on the gangs, on DACA agenda. Instead, we're saying DACA is the solution. We need DACA, 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 DACA. Even, even Trump is saying that. I have an article out demonstrating how the DACA amnesty in particular, and I graphed this on a chart as well, was the impetus for the worst gang and opioid crisis in American history. That's a kill shot on our country. Nothing else matters until that's addressed. Yet there's no agenda to address this. But before I get into the issue, I just want to close the loop on my thesis for today. Our political thesis. Before we get into the policy. When you don't have a party and a movement opening up new fronts and making a big deal out of this, and putting the other side on defense on these issues, there's no way you're going to win because they're always going to exploit tragedy on their side on a very superficial level to score points, and you're not going to be able to win. It's like trying to shield your face in a ground, against a ground and pound. you got to counterattack, and they're not doing it. You know... Again, I, I promise to get to some of the substance here of this article I want to talk about with immigration. But I want to talk about Lindsay Ann Oaks. I don't know anything about her, partly because there is nothing about her. She's the mother of that three-year-old child last week. She was traveling with him to a trauma center. I don't know why. If it was urgent, if it was an emergency or not, but was traveling to a hospital in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They're from Wise, Virginia. And an illegal alien drunk driver with a fellow illegal alien passenger crashed into the ambulance. It turned over, and the three-year-old was killed. Now, there were only about two articles on the entire web. One was the UK Daily Mail, of course. UK paper, maybe one other one was local that even said the name of the mother was Lindsay Ann Oaks. So I, I, I did an article on this. And then a week later, I figured, let me f- see if there's an update to see the criminal history of this illegal alien. 
you know, just like we usually find out, we found out with the illegal alien who killed um, Colts linebacker Edwin Jackson and his Uber driver in, uh, in Indianapolis the week before, we found out he was released by a sanctuary in California and went on to Indiana to kill another citizen. That's usually what happens here. There are repeat offenders, they're deported previous times, and they're here either because of Obama's suspension of enforcement, sanctuary cities, or the mixture of the two, both on a state and federal level. And I Googled Lindsay Ann Oaks, and I Googled the name of the illegal alien. I forgot his name. And you know what? The first article that came up was my article. Nothing new. You will not find a clamor in the media to get a hold of Lindsay Ann Oaks and have her go in front of a, a camera and shame members of con- Congress and say, how many of these have to happen before you, quote, do something about sanctuary cities, before you do something about the 10 to 20 items you promised us on exterior and into- internal border enforcement. And again, unlike guns, there is something to do. This is all public policy. Immigration is 100% elective. It's the most redressable criminal justice issue because you could get them you could get rid of them immediately and you could prevent them from coming you could clamp down on them they don't have the freedoms americans have and it's all caused by daca and sanctuary cities and obama's suspension of enforcement that trump is starting to turn the corner on but there's still a lot more to do and again with sanctuary cities that's been taken out of his control by the courts which is another thing we have to address. But CRTV or our allies in the conservative media, we don't rush to take a grieving mother and shove a camera in front of her face and talk politics, even if it was exclusively a political issue. You know, legal immigration is not a right. No immigration is a right for that matter. But on the other hand, the right to self-defense is not just in the Second Amendment, it predates the Second Amendment. It's a natural, unalienable right. But you don't hear about it. You don't hear about the cops being killed by the BLM movement as a direct result of the political war by the Democrats and the media on the cops that too many Republicans are going along with. You don't hear all the people killed from the recidivism of of jailbreak and loose sentencing policies. You won't hear about that. You won't hear town halls with people like parents of Sarah Root and Grant Grant Runnebeck and Denny McCain, many, many others killed by illegal aliens, totally avoidable. You won't hear from the mothers whose children succumbed to heroin and fentanyl that was brought into their communities exclusively by DACA recipients or similar types hooked in with the drug smuggling networks and MS-13 gangs that came over from Central America as a direct result of the very amnesty that has become the urgent issue for both parties to actually ratify the problem as the solution. Nothing. Crickets. If we had this discussion in America the entire contours of debate would be very different. 
What is an urgent issue? What's a redressable issue? Whose fault is it? Who caused certain issues? We don't have anyone doing this. Nobody. The media has no interest. And, and, and one other thing before we get to the second half of the show. You know, if, if you want to say mass shootings is the biggest emergency in our country right now. What was the biggest mass shooting we had? Last fall in Las Vegas, when over 50 people were killed, several hundred wounded. Never had anything like it. Gunned down in a country music festival. We don't even know the basic details about the most uncanny and most devastating mass shooting of them all. And the few details we know indicate something very sinister well beyond a gun control debate on domestic policy, wherever you stand on it. And they want to talk about bump stocks? Are you freaking kidding me? There's not a single person in the media, forget about, you know, right or left, just from a journalistic intrigue standpoint, to find out the basic details of what happened there? Nothing. Because they are such vile hacks. That if something doesn't fit their agenda, even though it is shrouded in mystery, and it would have intrigued any journalist, even the liberal ones of last generation, they'll shut it down. But do something about mass shootings. Unbelievable. But we have no counter-narrative. No counter-narrative. So let's discuss this counter-narrative that no one wants to talk about. And by the way... Our buddy here, Jordan Schachtel, our national security correspondent, he just messaged me an article that Mahmoud Abbas, the chief PLO terrorist, is in my hometown of Baltimore, speaking of Baltimore, um, at Johns Hopkins Hospital getting some treatment. How do you like that? I'm sure he's not paying, uh, you know, the inflated charges that you and I would by the phony cartel prices, but hey, you know, where, where are mass shooters when you need them? Anyway, um, you know, when it comes to immigration, what a lot of people don't realize, and clearly Trump is befuddled by this and very confused by it, is the DACA amnesty is not some sort of elite amnesty. Like there's a bad amnesty and then there's the DACA amnesty where it's a good amnesty. Not only is it not a good amnesty, it was actually the worst amnesty ever. And here's why. Our country has been ravaged, even you know, in general, before the last couple of years, which we'll get to, by young illegal aliens coming from mainly Mexico and more recently Central America. It's not the 70, 80-year-olds for the most part. It will be the young males 15 to 30, 18 to 25. That's who it is. When you issue an amnesty under the guise of if you come here as a child at the prime gang recruiting age, by the way, you will never be deported because we don't have the heart to deport you because we have a lot of heart. We have a lot of heart. I want you to remember that. We have a lot of heart. So we don't deport you. And you're going to get amnesty. Well, guess what happens? 
at least 300,000 Central Americans came over. And let me tell you, they were bad hombres, worse than ever. There's a reason why, according to DHS, 30% of the ones that they didn't release their holding have ties to MS-13. So our buddies at Center for Immigration Studies, and by the way, let me just say, it's one of the few think tanks slash conservative organizations that do good on their stated mission statement and actually you know, productively move the debate forward. Yeah, Stephen Camerata, Jessica Vaughn, Mark Akurian, lots of friends there. Jessica Vaughn is just really a terrific human being, brilliant scholar. I should get her on the show one day. Um, just really good work. I, I want to be like Jessica when I get older. You know, that that's someone, one of the few people in this business I really admire. Really knows what she's talking about. Really understands um, immigration from the law enforcement standpoint, and and is an expert in sanctuary cities. She did an entire report on how she did two things, and I spotlight them and juxtapose them together. She gave testimony before House Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration, which, by the way, does some good work, but leadership never allows it to come to the floor. They had a hearing on how um, sanctuary cities are fueling the opioid crisis and preventing us from solving it. And then she did a report she published separately at CIS on how sanctuary cities are helping fuel the gang crisis that nobody wants to talk about. And, you know, at the foundation here is, just to remember, before we get to sanctuary cities, because the sanctuary cities are the blocking mechanism to prevent us from dealing with it. But initially, this was DACA, okay? So anyone who tells you that they have a big heart, DACA is what caused the MS-13 crisis in this country, and it's what caused the opioid crisis to the levels and extent that it has, and the trajectory that it's headed on in recent years. So they examined, they went through the arrest records of 506 MS-13 gang members in recent, um, recent years, really mainly from the past year. And they found a bunch of things. First of all, they found that just of that sample, 120 of them were UACs, were these unaccompanied child minors. Those are the ones that they found with official connections, not with violent procli- proclivities, because that's a lot more of them, but official connections to MS-13. That's a massive percentage. That, that's more than 20%. And, and that's the thing. We don't need a law change. We need to stop the judicial assault on our sovereignty, stolen sovereignty, and to fulfill the laws we already have. UACs are only supposed to be treated like refugees and resettled in this country if they are victims severely trafficked, in the words of the statute, not the traffickers or self-trafficked or smugglers themselves, which is 95% of them. And yet... 300,000 of these creeps have been placed in our communities. They are the worst of the legal aliens we've had over the last 30 years. Straining our public schools and bringing violence of unimaginable proportion, particularly to schools in Montgomery County, Maryland, Fairfax County, Prince William County, uh, Virginia, and most notoriously now in Long Island, New York, Nassau and Suffolk counties. 
The schools are are just I mean it's 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 an invasion. And unlike random American mentally ill psychotic kids out of a population of 325 million when no matter what you do it's going to be very hard to stop or at least prevent initially the initiation of such an attack. I do believe as I said before we could certainly cut down on most of the casualties. This is a foreign invasion that our own government facilitated in contravention to our most foundational sovereignty laws. And the courts aided abetted it, and Republicans did nothing to stop it. And they're still doing nothing. 96% of them still remain in the country. This is the emergency crisis. This is what's redressable at a federal level. This is all a public policy issue. In our schools. And nothing. Nothing. Anyway, so they found in this uh, you know, re- research report at CIS that the population obviously has grown tremendously in the aforementioned areas. Doubled in, in, in Prince William County. But now we have the sanctuary problem. See, the problem is when we think of sanctuary cities, we typically only think of just an immigration issue per se. Well, now we get flooded with Im- illegal immigrants. You know, the cultural problems, the fiscal problems, and those are certainly concerning. But, and even the drunk driving. But the worst element is the gangs and the opioid. And that's directly related to sanctuary cities. See, just like you have broken window police theory with domestic crime, the notion that, and and this is a big reason why crime dropped so much the last two decades because of this tactic, the notion that 10% of the criminals commit 90% of the crimes. And that if you go after the small things that they commit, You'll preempt the larger things. You'll lock them up. And that's the whole thing with the whole you know, drug offenses and the career armed criminals and the mandatory minimums. Even if you're not so into going after drugs and the war on drugs, but one thing it did succeed at, people forget, is dropping all other violent crime because most of them do the other violent crime as well. The same thing's true with immigration. But it's even more true because immigration is the easiest thing to hit them on. You don't have to charge them with anything. You don't have to have due process in an American court where it's impossible to land a conviction on anything. You just deport them. You get them out of here. Almost all of the gangbangers from these transnational gangs, obviously have domestic ones that are, aren't you know immigrants, they're, they're immigrants, mainly illegal immigrants, from Mexico and Central America. And almost all of the drugs being brought into this country are coming from Mexico and peddled through illegal alien smuggling. So when you when you're not when you're apprehending illegals in the cities through interior enforcement, you're stopping the drugs and the gangs. When you're blocking with the sanctuary cities, you're not just blocking it from an immigration perspective. You're blocking our ability to deal with gangs and the opioid crisis that everyone says they want to deal with. We must do something about the opioid crisis. Meanwhile, these people have the nerve. They're coming back next week when Congress comes back. House 
ENC Committee, Energy and Commerce, they're whole, holding a bunch of hearings on what to do about the opioid crisis. Just like we got to do something about the guns, we have to do something about the opioid crisis, which means throwing more money at it. We threw $7 billion at it in this stupid omnibus bill we just passed. Meanwhile, they are the arsonists. They, they caused this problem. I plotted on a graph. You could look in this article we're going to link to in show notes from the National Vital Statistics System out of the NIH and CDC demonstrating the crisis that we have here. Now, just to back up with the opioid crisis, absolutely, we've always had a drug problem. Absolutely, we always will. You're not going to keep out all drugs You know, the war on drugs didn't succeed in that sense, just like a war on guns isn't going to succeed, and I agree with that. But the problem is that we had a war on drugs. Wars on drugs don't work. Wars work. Conventional warfare works on a conventional target. We didn't make it a war on those delivering it. We never went after the drug cartels. We never treated our southern border and the drug cartels and the smugglers with the severity, with the degree of importance that we treat Afghanistan halfway around the world. If we would have taken all the military stuff we did and just had one month military operation there to flush it out, then come back to me and talk to me about a drug crisis. You know, Maybe we could save a life or two if we get involved in this Islamic civil war and do this and that. Let me tell you something. The tens of thousands of people dying from fentanyl and heroin coming from the Mexican drug cartels and illegal immigration. The hundreds of billions of costs from illegal immigration. The unimaginable violence in places like Long Island but spreading everywhere in this country from MS-13 and the Amnesty Agenda. And yet there's nobody saying maybe we ought to deal with Mexico and say, hey, Mexican government, we're willing to help you. But if you're not willing to do it, we're going to create a buffer zone on our own. No one wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about that. So you look at this chart and you're going to see something very interesting. couple things here. First of all, when you talk about opioids, there's two things. There's the prescription drug aspect with all the oxycontin derivatives and then there's the illicit drugs most prominently you know it was was meth for a while but most prominently heroin fentanyl and all of its you know offspring yes we do have a problem with prescription drugs in this country and yes as i've noted before a big part of it is the medicaid expansion and the lack of a free market healthcare system that actually is functioning. Everything we have wrong in healthcare is an offshoot of the fact that it's not a functioning market. But let me tell you this. People focusing on the prescription drug aspect, they're missing the point. Look at the numbers of the 64,000 who died in 2006, and undoubtedly that number is much higher in 2017, but we don't have the data for. 78% where illicit drugs mainly brought here from Mexico. So it's not an even thing. Now, of course, there's a connection because, you know, you have the people that 
get addicted initially through the opioids that are prescription-based, and then it creates a demand and a cultural push for the heroin and other stuff and fentanyl. But the heroin and fentanyl supply side is only brought because of a dereliction of the most sacred duty of the federal government to protect our sovereignty and our borders and enforce immigration laws. You look on this chart and you see, you, I, I plot the line on a graph, Obama shut down immigration enforcement in 2011, shut down the 287G program, which is the glue that binds together the local and federal enforcement that was so successful in rooting out MS-13 gangs that almost eradicated MS-13 under the Bush, Bush's second term when he started 287G. And DACA in, 20, in the summer of 2012, that is when the heroin and fentanyl crisis took off. You look at the prescription drug thing, and that's the thing. It's not just that it's much less of a crisis. The trajectory is kind of flat. The trajectory of heroin and even more fentanyl is insane. It's a straight line up immediately after that. Because what happened? What happened was both on the gang side, MS-13, and on the drug smuggling side, and the two definitely overlap a lot, what happened was they had a massive new supply of mules and everyone up and down the drug supply chain through the UACs, through these 300,000 children that we had a heart for to bring into our country. Let me read to you from Jessica Vaughn's report. One MS-13 click leader in Frederick, Maryland, who had received a DACA work permit and was employed as a custodian at a middle school in Frederick, Maryland, which used to be a beautiful refuge from Baltimore, 45 minutes west, and has now become a cesspool because of illegal immigration. And who was recently incarcerated for various gang-related crimes, reportedly was told by gang leaders in El Salvador to take advantage of the lenient policies on UACs to bring in new recruits, knowing that they would be allowed to resettle in the area with few questions asked. Several of these unaccompanied minors now have been arrested and incarcerated for various crimes, including a vicious random attack on a sheriff's deputy in 2015. <clears throat> That's your supply. You want to know, everyone wants to talk about healthcare and doctors and pharmaceuticals, and there's what to talk about in healthcare. But that's nonsense. That's a drop in the ocean relative to the magnitude, the numbers, and the trajectory and timing on the illicit side with heroin and fentanyl, and that all took place after the UAC crisis. Nobody is making this connection but Jessica Vaughn and several others at this hearing. And I sought to highlight it in this piece. Of all the hundreds, if not thousands, of articles I've written on immigration, I feel this is perhaps the most important article I've written in recent years. There's been a 540% increase in deaths from fentanyl. And that was all after DACA. That is the DACA legacy. Yet DACA in our body politic is synonymous with an act of love and serenity and the highest aspirations of mankind. And really, it wrought about this country, the worst poisoning epidemic of our country of all time. Of all time. See, as Jessica Vaughn explains, ICE agents 
and general federal immigration officials have an expertise in immigration. They know they have the intel, the connections, the communications. They know where they're coming from. They know all of the um, the supply lines of this uh, Sinaloa cartel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it well, but that's the <clears throat> that's the most prominent Mexican drug cartel that we should declare war on. We should have a military operation. But you know what? Even without the military operation, if we clamp down on sanctuary cities, we'd solve this problem. Because they, they, know, they know where they, they're coming from. They know the, they have a bunch of databases. They know their um, identities because they all have fake identities. Do you know who doesn't know this? Local law enforcement. They don't, they don't have this material. But on the other hand, Local law enforcement are the first responders. They're the ones who discover this. They're the ones who get them. They find them on the streets. We don't have ICE patrolling the streets, nor do we want them to. This is why you need the partnership. It's a match made in heaven. And that's why the sanctuary cities break that. So you'll have them. They catch them on drug charges. And like, who cares? Drugs? I don't care about drug laws. Who cares? And they let these guys go. And meanwhile, they are the suppliers. Let me give you a painful example. Um, Just 10 days ago or so, the feds discovered a stockpile of fentanyl in Boston connected to the the Sinaloa cartel large enough to wipe out the entire state of Massachusetts to kill every person there. You want to know something? You want to know something? The entire state of Massachusetts last year was declared a sanctuary by the courts. Now, it was state court. At the behest of a criminal alien who got standing to be the plaintiff in that case. And as I said before, that plaintiff was later, after he successfully got the state declared a sanctuary, was later arrested for slapping and mugging a wheelchair-bound woman leaving a bank. Folks, none of this do you hear in the media, do you hear in conservative media, do you hear from so-called conservative politicians or anyone. No one is pushing this counter-narrative. If you solve the sanctuary city issue and you had seamless coordination, you would throw the drugs the hell out of this country. And I'm not talking utopian. Don't give me this you know, zero-sum game, zero-hundred. Well, you know, in law enforcement, you seek to mitigate a problem. You're not, not going to fully solve it. I think we would all give anything to go back to pre-2013, 2014, 2015 levels of drug problems in this country. You know, when meth was the biggest thing, biggest show in town. I think we'd die to go back to that. But again, you're not targeting the drugs, just like it's stupid to target. I agree. Generally speaking, the war on drugs in a vacuum doesn't work, just like you target guns. You target the freaking people. The same way you have people like Jeff Flake on the same day as the massacre promoting a bill that lets out drug traffickers and gun felons. Oh, but let's, you know, clamp down on guns. It's the same thing with the war on drugs. If we actually did the following, we wouldn't have these problems. So here's my list of agenda items that I'm demanding, and I'm going to and this is why I'm not attending CPAC, because I'm going to push this agenda. Imagine if we had a caucus of people immediately 
harnessing every media platform the way the left is shamelessly hiding behind the skirts and suits and pants of victims of tragedies to promote gun control. Here, here's the following. One, to announce an end to all amnesty. Make it clear to Central America that nobody, irrespective of your age, who comes here illegally will ever get amnesty. Those days are over. Number two, rather than pushing amnesty in the omnibus bill, which they're about to do, Jeff Flake's doing it, demand the inclusion of the Toomey Amendment to cut off funding to sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities do not have a right to federal funding. Don't give me this libertarian, nonsensical, anti-commandeering, pseudo-constitutional argument. They do not have a right to federal funding. They do not have a right. If you are going to thwart federal law, and folks, this is, this is a true, proper usage of the necessary and proper clause. Immigration is the most foundational responsibility of the government, to pro- the federal government, to protect the sovereignty of all the union, of all the states. So some states can't screw others. That's why we have a federal government. A state cannot thwart that. But the, America is nothing but the composition geographically of 50 states. There's no such thing as federal territory and state territory, per se. So by definition, illegals and the gangs, and they're going to be spread out among the cities in our 50 states. ICE has to have access to get rid of them. That is the only way to do it. That is the only way to execute that power they have. Anti-commandeering is when they leverage a power they have against the power they don't have in order to get a power they don't have, like controlling the drinking age of states. They don't have that power. Immigration is a power. The states are usurping that power And anyway, they're not entitled to federal funding. That should be cut off immediately. Number three, pass the Rakita bill, authorizing up to a year of prison time for local officials who harbor illegal aliens and thwart federal immigration officials. That's current law anyway. It just imposes jail time. Number four, pass the Lee Zeldin from Long Island. Good for him finally standing up for this just introduced a bill which requires the denaturalization of any gang gang member who obtains citizenship and later is found to be a member of MS-13. Let me tell you something. See, most illegal aliens still do not have a green card, even the regular DACA ones. But the UACs are treated like refugees. They get green cards. So many of them have gotten green cards. The worst elements have gotten green cards, and then many MS-13 gang members have been here for a while. They're citizens. Don't give me this pseudo-constitutional argument, oh, you can't do that, Daniel. We've been doing it with Nazis forever, denaturalizing them. We can do it with MS-13 gang members. That needs to be put on the floor tomorrow. Do something. Immediately pass the Davis-Oliver Comprehensive Interior Enforcement Bill. It reinstates all the um, cooperation with local law enforcement, enables local law enforcement to, um, to – it deputizes them to enforce the law. It does some minor things on the courts, lots of good things, named after two cops who were killed by illegal aliens. No one wants to meet with their wives. This bill has passed the House Judiciary Committee 
twice. And yet for three years, leadership has refused to bring it to the floor. Do something. What's it going to take? How many people have to die needlessly from an elective policy that shoved upon this nation? Number six, expand expedited deportation for all criminal aliens. Why does it take forever to get even the worst elements out of this country? Why do they have court dates? Expedited deportation is barely used statutorily and needs to be expanded to almost everyone. Throw them out of here. That's how it was done until this nonsense started the last couple decades. Number seven. Number seven. Pass a statute explicitly authorizing states to kick out illegal aliens from their schools. To get around the stupid courts. There is no reason our children should have to sit in classrooms with these people suffer from the bilingual education, the cultural problems, the violence problems, and the crushing financial burden. What about the children? Number eight. Completely remove immigration policy from the jurisdiction of Article Three courts and have it handled exclusively by administrative judges as it should be. Number nine. Trump must follow through with his executive order to properly interpret the law governing unaccompanied child minors, uh, unaccompanied, unaccompanied alien children, so that only those who are severely trafficked, which is very few of them, will be resettled. Everyone else should be deported immediately. And number 10, finally, treat the Mexican border, not just the border wall, not just drones and technology and border agents and infrastructure and roads that everyone talks about. But treat the Mexican drug cartels with the, mili- with the military op- operation they demand. Nobody should disagree. It's not even about immigration. It's about the drug crisis. Stop it. The violence, the gangs. Why can't we all agree on that? Why can't we all agree on a sovereign nation? Why do we have to suffer from the criminals and drugs and poison of another country? When we have so many tools to stop it. Let's talk about this. And then we can talk about denying Second Amendment rights for Americans. Folks, I'm going to be working more on this. I hope to have Dave Bratt on our show to talk about some of this. Some of our taxpayer and consumer bill of rights for the forgotten American that we're still working on. We're going to get his take on it. A lot of these items will be incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. Spread the word far and wide. Please help me with ideas on how to implement this, how to get this out more, and how to stand up for the forgotten American. Once again, happy birthday to George Washington. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.